Please bow with me in prayer. Lord, take my lips and speak through them. Take our minds and think through them. Take our hearts and set them on fire with love for your Son, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. Well, for those of you that may be visiting or haven't been here for a while, we're continuing on our fall sermon series on Romans 1 through 8, and we have arrived at Romans chapter 8. But lest you think this is the last sermon on the series, don't be fooled. It's not. Because this is only part of Romans chapter 8. It's not the full chapter. So I'm sorry for those of you who were hoping this was the last sermon in the series. We have one to go. But next week is actually uh, the climax. It's the pinnacle of the gospel presentation. And it's a wonderful finish. And this is actually, in many ways, the, the uh, build-up to the climax. Because it's a wonderful, as you draw the, the gospel, according to Paul, to a conclusion, this is a wonderful build-up to the climax. As he's wrapping the gospel up. And you can kind of gather that, both the end of chapter 7, which we talked about last week, and the beginning of chapter 8. Because you can see here, right at the beginning of chapter 8, you see he's trying to kind of apply what he said. And, and you see this build up, there, therefore, now. He's trying to say, he's, he's getting you excited. He's excited about this culmination. And he's trying to bring it all together. And last week's gospel end, ended with a, a victory cry. And when you first read it, You might not think it's a victory cry, but you really need to understand it in light of the presentation of the gospel up to that point. Because he says, wretched man that I am. Now that doesn't sound much like a victory cry. But he says, wretched man that I am, because he's presenting this case for the gospel and saying, you know, all my life, up to the point of coming to the place of meeting and understanding who Jesus is, I've been trying to earn my way to salvation. I've been trying to be a good person. I've been trying to live according to the law. And I knew in my heart of hearts that I'd fallen short. Wretched man that I am. In Romans 3.23, For all has sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Wretched man that I am. Who can save me from this body of death? Thanks be to God who gives us the victory through Jesus Christ our Lord. The war is over. The Jesus on the cross paid for my sin. Now it doesn't mean that there aren't battles that still go on, and that's this thing that he's got going on, this battle of life in the flesh and life in the spirit. And this battle continues in us that we wrestle with in our lives. And we all know it if we're honest with ourselves. That we've got this side of us that's leaning towards this life in the flesh. And this other side of us that's battling with this life in the spirit. And that's why in Romans chapter 8 he picks up on this. The mind of the flesh and the mind of the spirit. Because that's really the source 
of where sin comes from. It just doesn't come out of the blue. It comes from temptation. Whether it be the world, the flesh, or the devil, but it begins in the mind where we're drawn to whatever it is that's coming our way. And then we begin to fight this battle within. And a verse that you need to hold on to, because we're all going to fail at some point when we're in this battle. Some battles we're going to win, some battles we're going to lose. But we need to hold on to this verse, a great verse to memorize. 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Once we recognize Jesus as our Savior, that he died on the cross in my place for, for my sin, and I accept him as my Savior and my Lord, I still recognize that I'm going to fail, that I'm going to fall. And so I confess my sin. And that's why Paul begins this chapter with, once I come to that place, there is now, therefore, no condemnation. That's great news. I don't live under condemnation. That's gone. I don't have to live under that shadow. I don't have to live with guilt and shame. That's what Adam and Eve experienced. That when they failed and they were cast out of the garden, the reason they hid is they lived under this shadow of guilt and shame. And we don't have to experience that because of the cross of Christ. God does not want to put us on a guilt trip. That is not what this faith is about. If you're one of those who say, yeah, it's just all about a guilt trip. I don't want to feel that. That's not what this faith is about. It's about understanding that Jesus went to the cross for us. Died in our place for the sin. Given us a gift. And then we experience that grace coming over us. And then we experience the freedom that comes through Him. We have the choice then. That we don't live under the law as a burden. We live with the law as a guide. That's why He's given us the law, because He loves us. And it's there to guide us. We have a choice. We can live with freedom or enslaved. Enslaved because of the law, enslaved because of sin, or under the freedom of the Lord. We can live, as Paul says in verse 8, as a beloved son, because like Jesus, we become heirs. We become beloved children of God. And live as a child. As Paul is setting the stage for all of this, there's a wonderful verse in chapter 5 that kind of paints the picture of what God wants for us that he's beginning to unfold in chapter 8. It says, If because of the one man's trespass, death exercised dominion through that one, this is Adam, much more surely will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness exercise dominion in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. The abundance of grace. 
See, if you really understand life in Christ, it's just grace washing over you. What a wonderful gift. This constant outpouring of grace, which is why we can go to Him for forgiveness and experience that grace watch, washing over us. And then we seek to live this life of righteousness. Not because it's a burden, not because it's a, a heavy weight or cross to bear, because it represents true freedom. It represents the life of Christ for us. So that's the picture that he's trying to paint here. The gift that he's trying to give us, as he says, life in the spirit as opposed to life in the flesh. So as he is setting the groundwork for the rest of the gospel, now we come to this section in Romans chapter 8, where he says, For all who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. You do not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. He doesn't want us to be fearful, fearful of condemnation, fearful of punishment, the burden of guilt and shame. But you have received a spirit of adoption where we cry, Abba, Father. Abba. Understand that term, Abba. Because we say, Our Father, every Sunday in church. Some of you may even say it every day. It's why I chose the gospel reading that we chose. The first sermon Jesus preached was the Lord's Prayer. It had the Lord's Prayer in it. And see, we kind of take it for granted. We hear the Lord's Prayer and we say, Our Father, yeah, I know. It's kind of almost rote. It's almost mundane for some people. It was radical when Jesus said it. In fact, of all the times that Jesus ever mentioned the name Father or prayed to God, He said the name Father every time but once. Only once did He not refer to Him as Father. And the term He used, Abba, actually means Daddy. I know, isn't that sweet? Daddy. See, we say our father. Almost sounds like Star Wars. I'm your father. It's not that. It's really not. It's really about intimacy and endearment. If we really understand it. See, we always want to try to sterilize faith. Do you really understand it? We want to socialize it. You know, what is Christianity? I'm a good person. I'm a Christian. See, we, we stay away from those intimate terms like daddy. God is daddy. We stay away from intimate terms like, I love Jesus. If you're in a social setting, it's relatively safe to say, I believe in God. It's relatively safe to say, well, I'm basically a good person. You know, if you're in a social setting, people usually accept those. It's okay. If you would say, yeah, God's my daddy, everybody's going, what? <laughs> or I love Jesus. What? Really? Because those aren't safe. They're too intimate. 
That's what Jesus did. You need to understand that. That's what Jesus did. We talk about what did Jesus do? That's what Jesus did. Abba, Father, that's what he's saying. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Jews talked about it. But see, it ended up being law. Because that's safer. It's safer. Christianity really, if you really understand it, is meant to be a faith that's lived out in intimate terms. Of love, of servanthood, of sacrifice. We want it to be sterile and safe. And oftentimes we end up muting it. And how do you change the world that way? Everybody thinks they're basically a good person. And most people believe in God. See, when Jesus brought this radical idea of being daddy, he was taking it to a different level. He was talking about an intimate faith, a compassionate faith, a caring faith. Now, for those of us that didn't have a father that way, some of you did. Some of you had a father that you kind of, especially, especially women, you know, young girls, a lot, of, a lot of women did. See, my dad, my dad was, he wanted to make his, his boys men, you know. And, you, and remember, my name's Kranz, German, engineer. Does that give you a picture? So not everybody has that picture of daddy. That's why God sent Jesus Christ in the flesh. A God who touched lepers and prostitutes and loved people and washed feet. You need to understand what he was trying to do when he came. And we don't always have that picture. But we have an Abba. And that's why when Paul talks about us being debtors, not that we're overwhelmed or burdened, but a debt of gratitude. When you really understand what God is offering us in Jesus Christ, that He sent His Son to die on a cross for us so we can have this kind of relationship, so that we can understand this depth of love, so that we could be offered this grace, the very throne of God, to run in to our Daddy there and to experience that kind of grace. What a radical idea for legalistic, legalistic Judaism, for a cold world. For whimsical gods and paganism. This was radical. That's what Jesus was trying to say. And people don't always get the picture. And this is not about pride. It's about humility. It's about emptying yourself. Because you can't do it. And you can't get there. That's what Paul's trying to say. And as he's unfolding this picture, he comes to the end of this first section. If children then heirs, 
Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. This is God's Son that He sent. And that we can be like Jesus in that throne room. That's what He's saying. That that kind of understanding that Jesus had of Daddy, of love, of intimacy, is ours through Him. But then... He goes on to say something that we're not always comfortable with and we want to gloss right over. Heirs of God, join heirs with Christ, if, in fact, we suffer with him so we also may be glorified with him. Oh, skip over that part. We don't want to suffer. You kidding? See, we don't want that part. We want an insular, safe faith. Just like we want a sterile faith, we want a safe faith. You know, the reality is, you look around the world, especially this week, we had another reminder that this week, this world is full of suffering. Random, violent, evil. What happened in France, what happened in Paris, that's just out and out evil. There are evil people around. And we try to insulate ourselves. And the reality is, you can't. You can't. What happened in France can happen here. Make no mistake. You can go into denial about that. I don't know how many of you heard one of the announcers, what they talked about, what was said about, why the soccer match, the stadium was bombed. Do you know what was said? I heard it and it was, it was incredulous. It was almost a joke to me. The reason that was given because, because the soccer match was bombed was because these were two Christian nations playing soccer against each other. France and Germany. Really? You know what church attendance in France is right now? One to two percent. But the perception is it's a Christian nation. We are perceived to be a Christian nation. Church attendance in the United States is far greater than that. What's our vulnerability? You can't be insulated from suffering. And that's one of the reasons we know subconsciously we don't stand up for our faith. Because in the very passage, much like Paul here, Paul here in the context of Romans 8 when he's talking about when we walk in the Spirit, when we live by the Spirit. In fact, he talks about the Holy Spirit in this section of Romans 8 20 times. The Spirit, of the Spirit, in the Spirit, by the Spirit. 20 times. Go to John's Gospel in the upper room. John 13 through John 17. The section of Scripture where the Holy Spirit is talked about more than any other section of Scripture. When Jesus is intimate with his apostles, 
When he's talking about the Holy Spirit the most and need, the need to walk by the Spirit, be filled with the Spirit, and live by the Spirit, he also talks about suffering and warns them, the world hates me, it's going to hate you. You're going to be persecuted. You're going to experience suffering. Because you're going to be my witnesses. It's one of the reasons why the church is sterile. Why the church is insular. Why the church doesn't witness. Because we're afraid. We don't want to experience suffering. And Paul in this passage says, we're not to live by fear. Fear has to do with punishment. If we suffer, it's not because we're being punished. If we're walking by the Spirit, it's because we're identifying with Christ. We have to be His witnesses. It's the only way this world's going to get better, if it does get better. It's the only way lives are going to change. You know the one sad part for me about what's going on in France right now? There's a lot of people that are grieving horribly because they have no hope for their loved ones. The end has happened and they have no hope. And they don't have strength because they don't know how to grieve. Because they don't know how to reach out for the Holy Spirit. That's what hurts my soul. We need to be His instruments because suffering is a part of life. And if we're going to be His vessels in the world, we're going to suffer. You know what's interesting is suffering is a part of life. And a lot of times suffering is, is something that just happens because of different professions we choose too. I don't know how many of you saw this Paris Island article. It was a big section in the paper. It was in several weeks ago, a couple weeks ago. And there was an article about their 100th anniversary and one section entitled The Crucible. Everybody see this? The Crucible? I don't know how to show this to you. It's not a word that's used a lot in our culture, the crucible. But the crucible, the word crucible is a vessel. It's a vessel that has to deal with intense temperatures or heat in order for purification to happen. Okay? And one of the procedures the Marines have to go through in order to pass is entitled the crucible. Interesting. And then, last week, I'm reading The Economist and talking about Merkel in Germany, the Chancellor's Crucible. Now, what are the chances in publications of seeing the word crucible twice in a couple of weeks? It's not a word we see very often. And so I thought, hmm, interesting. Vessels that go through intense heat for the purpose of purification, guess what? That's what we're meant to be. So that we become purified. That we go through the intense challenges of life in this world. In order that we might be purified. That's the suffering. You know what the root word of crucible is? It's crux or crux. The same root word as crucifix. Critical time. Critical point. 
right now, right now, I believe we're at a critical point. What are we going to do with what's before us? How are we going to respond? What do we do with this broken world before us? Because it is broken. In fact, Paul goes on to talk about not only the suffering, but the groanings. Because this world is futile without the Lord. He talks about that in Romans 1. He picks it up again in Romans 8. The futility of this world groaning without the Lord. The world's blind. It can't see without the Lord's light. In 1 Corinthians 13, the love chapter, says we see in a glass dimly. That's with the Lord's light. Our best is dimly with His love, with His light. But the world is blind without Him, without His light. And they can't see. We need to provide that. Because this world is groaning. That's why we need to walk by the Spirit. For the sake of the world. And we're not strong enough to pull this off ourselves, by the way. We don't have the strength. We don't have the willpower. We don't have the ability. And that's why this last section in our scripture reading for today, verse 26 and 27, Paul says, Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know how to pray as we ought, but that very Spirit intercedes with sighs too deep for words. You know, when I first read that scripture years ago, I really didn't understand it. There's, it's been rare in my life when I've ever been at a loss for words. You probably would have guessed that. But you know, over the last few years, I've experienced a couple of times in my life when I've been at a loss for words. Some of you have heard the story about my daughter when she ran away for a night. It's probably the only time in my adult life that I've wept. And the story is a wonderful story in the long run because she came back to the Lord. She came back to us in a wonderful way. She's married to, of all things, a clergyman now. It's a great story. What an irony there. It's a wonderful, wonderful story. And one of the reasons she's on my mind is she turns 30 this week. I know. Can you believe it? You know what I said to my wife more than once? You're getting old. <laughs> I know, I'm terrible. <laughs> but anyway, it's, it's just wonderful to watch what the Lord's done with her and through that time. The only other time that I remember not being able to pray in my weakness was about a year and a half, almost two years ago, when I was in so much pain and actually collapsed on the, uh, on the floor at the emergency room. Uh, and I found out later because I was septic, uh, somehow got poisoned. And um, it was funny because the emergency room nurse came out and saw Meredith first and said, Meredith, what are you doing here? Greg? Saw me on the floor. <laughs> and, um, and, you know, emotional pain, physical pain which we go through in this life. 
And those two times, I was unable to pray. But see, once for the Lord's, what we're told here is the Spirit who not, knows the mind and the heart of the Lord and is in us, brings us together. And the size, which is about all we can say at that point, prays on our behalf. Just like in the Creed, where it says, Jesus is at the right hand of the Father, interceding for us. See, if you've not been through that kind of pain yet, you may not understand this. But if you live life long enough, you will experience it. I guarantee you that Martha and Robert Horn, on our staff, Martha, who she and her husband going through cancer at the same time and what they've been through, I know they've experienced that. And I know some people here who have experienced it. Loss of loved ones. Rebellion in their family. Broken families. I know. Christians are not exempt from suffering or pain. But the blessing is, we have hope. And we have strength beyond ourselves. That's what we have. Like Jesus had on the cross. That's what we have. And we have each other to hold each other up. That's what we have. That's what Paul's saying here. The war is over. Once you make that step and say, I believe, the war is over. The battles keep going until we see them face to face. And the first question is, have you made that decision? Do you know? Because he wants you to know. He wants you to be his child, adopted. Want you to know your daddy forever. He wants you to know his love, his grace, his peace, and his joy that is beyond anything in this life. And you can't do it yourself. You can't. You don't have the willpower, you don't have the goodness. You're not strong enough. Your body won't last forever and this life doesn't go on forever. And there's always going to be events like France. There's always going to be wars and rumors of wars. And what I observe in the world, it's not getting any better. As good as people think they are, it's not getting any better. I want to say one more thing. Next week's sermon is the best news of all. Don't sleep in.
Let's pray. Lord God, if we're honest with ourselves, we know we're not good enough. We know we fall short. And if we look around and we're honest, we see a broken world and a lot of broken lives and we see a lot of evil. And yet, Lord, we know you are able. We know you are a God of love. We know you are a God of righteousness. And we know you want the best for our lives. Lord, I pray that everyone here would have a heart and a mind open to your grace. That they would allow your Holy Spirit to flood in, whether they know you or not. To be filled anew and transformed. That whatever battle that they're facing now, they would at least know that the war is won. And rest in your grace. And be transformed by your Spirit. And go into the world bearing your light. And we pray this for ourselves today and every day. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.